What's up, everyone? Hey, y'all. Welcome, Welcome to, to The, the Ink, Ink, a podcast devoted to uncorking the comics, films, video games, and TV shows that make up all things geekdom. Especially as they both reflect and represent the rich colors of POC-centered and occasionally POC-adjacent narratives. Occasionally POC-adjacent narratives. I think someone needs to do like a supercut of uh, all the times we mention like... <laughs> Basically, white-centered yeah. stories yeah. and content versus content by creators of color or content that is grounded in experience of the people of color. That would be the gooped and the gaggery. Yeah, I hope we're doing a good job. We should probably do an internal <laughs> assessment of that as we <laughs> move forward with this podcast. Yes. Uh, but how have you been? Uh, I am good. Uh, constantly being jockeyed back and forth between phase three and phase zero in mm-hmm. this glorious town of New York City as far as COVID-19. So right. not quite sure what we're adapting to as far as new normals and new realities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I so, get that. I how get about that. you? I am well. My birthday is coming up. Yeah, it is. Well, shit. What, what the hell are we going to do? I have no idea. Uh, just like you said, we're, are we moving forward with the phases? Are we backtracking? I can see pluses to both. Um, True. Truly. More to backtracking because it's for my own good health. But I also would really like to go out and brunch with my friends for my birthday. So, you know. I mean, it sounds like what we're going to be doing is just not your birthday. Love you, though. Just in general, <laughs> it's okay. Um, in New York and other spaces, are going to be a lot of outdoor seating for the time being. I'm concerned about how long that can last because, hey, we have seasons. Yeah. Summer, fall can get iffy, right. but then winter across right. this country, not to mention the way that climate change has exacerbated much of our winters all across this country. The hotters are hotter, the colders are colder. Yeah. And I mean, it's fine. I grew up as a summer birthday child where birthdays were celebrated in school during the school year. Yeah. With friends. So I'm used to not having people around for my birthday. Mm. It is fine. But in the um, words of America's poet laureate, Gia Gunn, what privilege. (laughs) I'm just trying to fill my oats. My oats, grains, legumes. But, anyways. Now that we've taken your time out of your day with all that nonsense. <laughs> yes. Um, on this episode, we will be getting to know Crunchyroll's first upcoming Latinx original series, Onyx Equinox. Then we'll be discussing Netflix's Dead India, which is the answer to your She-Ra, Kipo, and Steven Universe void. That void that I know all of you are feeling right now. Um, and then we're going to get into how Disney is almost there. In retheming their Magic Kingdom and Disneyland ride, Splash Mountain. And you finding a new co-host. Because <laughs> that was not ran by me before we recorded this. Wow. Um, and then for For the Culture, we'll discuss him finding a new co-host and me finding a new co-host. <laughs> um, but really, we're going to discuss, should we reconsider the payoff of binge-watching in a time of COVID-19? All right. Cool. So, um, today... In our cosplaying and who we are cosplaying, I am cosplaying as Ezekiel from the Netflix original animated series, Carolyn Tuesday. Yes. Now, his real name is Amir Soliman, 
and he is one of if not carol's only best friend from childhood back when she was on earth um he was the only other black kid that was really shown with her they both were orphans at a young age and they both eventually made it to the moon i mean i feel like it's damn near biblical that if you see the other black kid the only other black kid from across the room right Right. There are survival in numbers. <laughs> exactly. So. Exactly. You got to stick together. Yes. Um, but uh, Carol made it to the moon. Uh, and then Ezekiel later came. Yes. Uh, as a rapper. As Ezekiel. In, 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 a, in a, you know, pseudonym. Um, to the moon or Mars? It's the Mars of moon. Or is it Mars? It's just Mars. I feel like, yeah, it's just it's Mars. Mars. You're right. <laughs> I know this. I don't know why I keep saying no. But anyways. As someone that slept through half of season one, me. A whole me. They both start with M. It could be Mercury. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> you and I both know. You especially know why it couldn't be Mercury. Yes. Um, but Ezekiel's this young guy with a sh- half-shaven head and purple dreads. And then he also has multiple piercing. I think he has six piercings on each of his ears. And then he has two studs um, in his bottom lip. And then he also has an eyebrow ring. So he's very... Bisexual. Uh, sure. That The eyebrow ring. <laughs> okay. Sis his family. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, he showed no interest. Well, he did show a little interest in Carol. But, you know, that doesn't mean anything. Um, bisexual. Bisexual. Now, he's very reminiscent of rappers these days. It's like new generation of rappers, like the Takashi 6 9s and uh, the Little Uzi Verts and all those. Uh, My people. Little Pony 85. Yes, yes. Rappers with a lot of feelings. Yes. You know? Um, but he inevitably gets arrested. And then in jail, he makes a music video about his uh, mistreatment. Mm-hmm. And then he gets deported. Wow. Yeah. And that's that's kind of his story. Which Yikes. is a real commentary on not only the immigration system of the U.S. and honestly a lot of countries, but also the incarceration system and just how black lives in general aren't cared for or prioritized in most countries. Yeah. Um, no matter how famous you are or how good you are at your craft. So, yeah. Mm. That's Ezekiel. I will go and revisit Carolyn Tuesday. Mm-hmm. For me, it was just the pacing was too slow. The, the second season Their music did start was off a step slow. above lo fi for me. I agree. The second season did start off slow, but it does pick up. It does pick up. And it's a great end to the series, I think. Well, I mean, I have a two week vacation coming up, so. There you go. Let's go. So, who are you cosplaying as? Speaking of vacations, um, who I'm cosplaying as is a part of a TV show that I will talk about later on in this episode, but I am cosplaying as Morally Corrupt from (laughs) the Doom Patrol TV series. Now, Morally Corrupt, also known as Morris Wilson, that's uh, his day name. Mm -hmm. Morally Corrupt is his stage name. Mm -hmm. See where I'm going with this? Okay. So, Morris initially worked for the Bureau of Normalcy, which was there to investigate Danny the Street, which in Doom Patrol is this living, genderqueer, sentient street. But as Morris start to investigate more of what Danny is and more of what they are, it's interesting how they depict Danny the street. Mm-hmm. Morris began to feel more comfortable and decides to move into and on 
Yeah. Danny the street. Yeah. Um, and Danny, like Danny does, welcomes anyone who is fully coming into their own and embracing their true self. So years later, when Danny's being investigated and comes under attack by some folks from the Bureau, Morally Corrupt is one of the first uh, Danizens, as they called themselves. Mm-hmm. Danny sense. and Danizens. Hate that. Uh, <laughs> that comes to Danny's defense. Sounds like something I would name. Sounds something I would create. You had almost there in the episode description. Yeah, tr- that I tr- sounds I try. right up that alley. I really try. <laughs> So, uh, Morally Corrupt makes their debut uh, season one, episode eight, which I still have not seen, but they have this great line where they're, I'm assuming, reading somebody for filth, and they said they are proud of the, proud of the person they see in the mirror, that her face is beat, her look is flawless, and she's dusted from head to toe. Like, I mean, now that's a queen. My face is beat. Yes. My look is flawless. Yes. And I'm dusted from head to toe. That's right. Hit follow on Instagram. We have no choice but to stand. Yes. So I, this episode, am going to be morally corrupt, and I hope to, you know, really embody that. I can I say mean, it right it's now. it's not far off. <laughs> I think it's really not far you off. You are generously <laughs> lying. Uh, but yeah, that's what I'm cosplaying as this week. Cool. Well, now we're going to get into what's coming down the pipe. We'll just run straight into it. You yeah. Know? Um, me... <laughs> Oh, me. What's coming down the pipe for me is Bitterroot Volume 1 because what? It just came in the mail. And now this has been a comic book series that I have been wanting to read for Mm -hmm. a very, very long time. So I'm so glad uh, I got the volume, uh, Volume 1. Now it takes place in the 1920s uh, during the Harlem Renaissance in Harlem, New York. Um, And it centers... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, right? Makes sense. Mm-hmm. It centers around the Sangrenier uh, family, and they are basically the only family, this black family is the only family with the power to not only save New York City, but save the whole world from this supernatural force. I'm talking about like monsters, demons, witches, all things that you can think of. Karens. Right. Gentrification that is threatening to destroy humanity. <clears throat> Now, unfortunately, this family has been torn apart over the years. Um, a lot of them have been killed um, and have died out. So tragedy has struck in the family. There are also a lot of conflicting moral codes, um, just a lot of old generation stuff versus new generation things yeah. um, that they have to deal with and put their differences aside and heal in order to save the rest of the world. hmm Mm-hmm. So David F. Walker and Sanford Green, the creative team behind Power Man and Iron Fist, are over this comic book series, which is great because they are veterans in the industry. They know what they're doing. They're two black men that are writing a story about a black family. Yes. I love it. (laughs) And I can't wait. Absolutely. I've read the first issue of it, which was for free on the uh, Image Image. Comics Mm -hmm. website. I'm not sure if it's still there. It probably should be still there. It's great on like Marvel Unlimited, which gave us black folks access to our history for about a month Mm -hmm. in two days. Neither here nor there. It's already gone. Indeed. Uh, But anyway, read the first issue, loved it, especially the underlying gender politics and commentary that really characterizes some of the family drama that's going on. Spoiler alert, the women tend to not fight the monsters. They tend to take care of the science and the medicine and the healing 
mm-hmm. that the family needs to continue to fight the undead, so on and so forth. But there is one character who is actually trying to upend that. Yes. So super excited to see what she does throughout the entire issue. I thought it, I also thought it was very interesting. There's a dynamic between the two two of the male characters in the first uh, issue. Yes. Where normally when you see people fighting monsters or teams of people fighting, the smaller, skinnier one is like usually the super sm- like smart one and maybe the uh, you know strategic type. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. the big brute is the one that fights the monsters and kills everything, just listens and 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 punches things. But yeah. it was the opposite situation in this. And though the big brute could do some damage, uh, he was very much a poet. He used a lot of uh, polysyllabic syllabic syllabic. Thank you. <clears throat> um, obviously, I don't <laughs> <laughs> words. And uh, was teaching this younger uh, family member how to handle these monsters he, and how to not be stupid. Absolutely. He used the word pusillanimous correctly, and I was floored, only because you rarely read the word, first of all, just nowadays, you rarely read the word pusillanimous in also yeah, <laughs> in graphic I, novels. I, yeah, and I agree. it makes me think of something that I was writing about in my tweendom <laughs> about. What if Beast and the X-Men were a person of color? Would he still have the same kind of... Um, Vernacular? Erudition. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And intelligence. Um, as his his normal character would have. Because oftentimes when you do see... I would hope these so. bulkier, beastly or beast-like characters, or literal beast... Right. They tend to have lower intelligence. And rarely do we see that kind of... Ki- that. Um, archetype um words are escaping words are failing me as well that archetype um twisted or inverted Mm -hmm. to show a different side of it Mm -hmm. a side that's more intelligent and that character also be a person of color and the fact that his intelligence is part of his mutation they had better okay but yeah all that to say what is coming down the pipe for you so i telegraphed this a bit in my cosplay but I'm looking forward to actually finishing the first season of Doom Patrol, Mm -hmm. which I have not yet, um, (laughs) and also dive into the lore a bit more. So, I mean, I've always been aware of Doom Patrol, but I've always known them as the family that Beast Boy left. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I haven't really, you know, felt any kind of inkling of going back to explore them as a superhero group. Although I ran across an interesting article maybe about three weeks ago that was chronicling, or not chronicling, it's a bad word, um, that documented essentially the interesting parallels and the historical development of the X-Men and Doom Patrol side by side. Interesting. Everything from the way in which their issues were released to the writing behind it um, and how uh, Dr. Niles, I forgot his last name, but how he could be seen as... A Professor Xavier... And a realistic depiction of a man who is fascinated with putting other people's children in danger. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Except these are adults. Exactly. But still, (laughs) the whole family fictive kinship thing still stands. Wacky, wacky, wacky. Absolutely. Yeah. And this TV show has definitely piqued my interest because, well, one, one of their characters, Crazy Jane. Yes. Because I always call her Typhoid Mary. Always. <laughs> for certain stupid person. Uh, stupid reason. Yeah, all of her different personalities. Exactly. The way they depict uh. that in the show was great. And now you have Morally Corrupt. And they mm-hmm. also have a season one finale, which, spoiler alert, involves a roach and a mouse. Supersized. 
make it out. It's a wack. It's some wacky shit. So it really is. Twenty twenty, you know, is doing some wacky shit in real life. Might as well embrace that in the cultural zeitgeist and mm-hmm. just get through season one, and then also, um, I think season two, and I'll be at HBO Max. So yeah, yeah, woo. All right, so we are going to get into the newsreel now. Yes. The first thing, uh, Crunchyroll has released the first teaser trailer for its upcoming Latinx original series, Onyx Equinox. Uh, Now, Onyx Equinox will be its first anime, um, at least that I really know of, and I think most people can think of, that is centering on Latinx culture. um, Because the setting will be taking place in Mesoamerica, and the story will be focusing on Aztec culture. So it's focusing on its gods, its people, and its customs. Now, there have been other recent series who have also pulled from Latinx cultural aesthetics, uh, primarily the Fate series. Uh, There's also been Roca, Brave of the Six Flowers that came out in 2015. And then there was also Seis Manos in 2019, which uh, mainly focused on Mexican culture. Mm -hmm. But Onyx Equinox is set to center purely on Latinx characters with a specific focus on ancient Aztec culture and myth. Uh, mythology the story in case you're wondering is framed uh in a time when gods and humans are at war so every day (laughs) yeah constantly tell us all this time um also a huge trope in anime uh but the main protagonist idzel is a young aztec boy who is spared from death by the gods and armed with a blood activated dagger with the sole mission to prove that humanity is worth saving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, in the trailer, monsters rise from below the Earth's surface and they wreak apocalyptic havoc on uh, Mesoamerica and its communities and the outcome of the destruction um, and human death is very much seen throughout the trailer. This is going to be a bloody ride. People are going to get their heads cracked open. They're going to be taken over by demons. It's going to be great. Um, You know, there are going to be evil um, priests. um, More than likely. That are going to be pushing people into Shabalba. Like... (laughs) Nice. It looks really, <laughs> nice really reference, good. Yes. It looks really, really good. Um, and we also get to see a little bit of who I'm pretty sure is going to be Izzel's uh, ragtag group of friends that fight by his side. And they look dope as well. Absolutely. One of my favorite moments in the trailer, which I highly recommend you all go watch, is there is a character that is on screen for like 2.5 seconds. Mm-hmm. And he says something to the effect of, we've remade humanity four times over. Yep. And the way which he says that line makes it sound as if, one, he has a natural and inherent disdain Mm -hmm. for this subclass of existence. Mm -hmm. And then also the fact that he is done being patient with this, I'm guessing, belief of his other, of the other gods, that humanity is something special that they should care for and cultivate. Mm -hmm. So as someone that has a bit of a misanthrope (laughs) streak. (laughs) Right. Uh Uh-huh. Tell your Super. lies. <laughs> Go on. Tell your lies. <laughs> um, as someone that definitely subscribes to that, just a tad bit. Yeah. My phrase in life is always, I love humanity, but humans are another story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see how that line shapes into a larger narrative and that person's involvement in the story. And then also, the trailer makes 
it feel like the show is very lived in and referential. So it doesn't reek of another group of people who are just fascinated by Aztec culture and want to create another shonen anime inspired by it right, or completely. inspired by different cultural elements of it that are more, are more amorphously uh, Latinx. Yes. It feels very specific, mm-hmm. very referential, and very much feels like the creator behind this, which you'll talk about later, yeah. um, is a descendant of this culture and right. a descendant of these stories. They're not just like pulling, oh, we're going to pull pyramid here. We're going to pull like this form of hieroglyphics and exactly, put it here. We're yeah. going to put um, this, uh, you know, human worship or, or, you know, sacrifice here and make it like this, um, this um, gilding of... yeah. Latinx culture or Aztecan culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I'm really excited to see that his weapon is activated with blood. Yeah. Because it's really um, taking that, you know, blood played such a huge role in Aztec culture. Uh, now, in Aztec culture, the people believe that they owed a blood debt to the gods. Um, so basically in order to avert ultimate destruction they had to continue to pay this blood debt which is the reason why they had a lot of animal and human sacrifices and that's kind of what history has grabbed onto. <laughs> yes yes which in and of in and of itself is a bit problematic yeah but yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. we have to hold everything in context right, right. yeah and um i really I really, it's nice to see this now because the only other strong reference to Aztec culture in animation is like the road to El Dorado. Yeah. And so it's great to see that, you know, from that and this, you get two really strong depictions of Aztec culture. Absolutely. It looks like. Of course, the road to El Dorado was two white men coming in and just destroying everything, but. (laughs) And that's what's funny about that is because I think. And we should move on from this point. Yeah. Um, and also possibly do. And I'll make sure I write this down somewhere. Um, help me remember this, please. Sure. Uh, actually, no. I think we'll be fine without this being a For the Culture episode. We have far too many things to talk about anyway. Uh, but El Dorado, the way in which you do have some white or white aspiring creators who mm-hmm. do their research. Yeah. But they often rarely contend with their relationship to these cultures mm-hmm. and then their relationship to this cultural storytelling. So El Dorado, while it might have been specific, also, as you were saying, one, both from, and actually probably should do my own research before I talk about this, but I suspect mm-hmm. that there was a largely all-white creative team behind it. Probably. Or at least the ones... For the time that it was. Ex- I mean, exactly. I can only assume. Right. Um, that they were the ones kind of pulling the creative strings behind it and so wanted it to be as specific as possible for it to be a high quality product. And then also the very fact that El Dorado dealt with these white Spaniards. (laughs) White bisexual Spaniards. (laughs) That is very true, which complicates things even more. But how we are now having conversations about white Latinx folks and how people kind of conflate race and ethnicity that needs to be disentangled to have an honest conversation about who uh, benefits from white privilege, irrespective of their ethnicity. Well, Sonic's Equinox was uh, created by Sophia Alexander, and it will be produced by Crunchyroll Studios Production. Um, So very happy about that. Yes. More to what you were saying. And it also will be premiering sometime this summer, so we don't really have to wait that long. We don't have a specific date yet, but it will be soon. Hopefully later this month. Maybe a birthday present for me. Yes. Instead of brunch, I'll give you a TV show. Yes. Yes. 
<laughs> I also love that Sophia is both the creator, executive producer, and showrunner. Three of the most powerful positions on a TV show. Yes. Aside from being a, a network exec, obviously. Mm -hmm. But, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that means, hopefully, that means wonderful things for the show, both in terms of its creative direction as well as its future. Because I feel like shows like this in 2020 will always get a, well, mm, not always, the likelihood of them being greenlit for a pilot, mm -hmm. sure, mm -hmm. a season one, maybe. Right. But, but a season two and it, then consecutive seasons yeah. is very much still, they're, they're still vulnerable to the whims of a white media power structure, mm -hmm, especially mm -hmm. when you don't have a white person, largely white man, overseeing the creative production and then right. therefore legitimizing right. the show. Right. And hopefully since this is technically an anime, it doesn't have to worry about those network obligations like selling toys and uh, merch and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But that's real. to be seen, to be determined. Uh, let's move on, mm -hmm. shall we? So, for those of you who are still empty, dark, abyss of shells from uh, both <laughs> She-Ra and Steven Universe ending... Get a life! <laughs> okay, hold on now. <laughs> Relax! And then you've also completely binged through the most recent season of Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts. Your next show might just be on the horizon. Uh, Dead India is this horror <laughs> comedy series with touching tales of adolescence, and it has a very large inclusion of LGBTQIA plus storylines, mm -hmm. and it looks amazing, honestly. And it's coming to Netflix. Yes, and so Dead India is like Dead End, and then Ia, designating it as like a place and a location, not yes. Dead India. <laughs> Yes. Which the first time I heard you say it to me, not like not in, not when we were talking about the episode, but when you said it to me as we were just talking about random news, I was like, "What?" <laughs> uh huh. So, little tidbit for you all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's funny because um, the show's uh, creator um, Hamish Steele tweeted about it, and uh, I'll I'll talk more about that later. But um, he tweeted a photo of the of Dead India showing up on Netflix, mm -hmm. but it's still in the work, so they haven't put the image behind it yet. And so it was just Dead India and this very black background. And I was like, what is this? Is this a joke? Is this supposed to be like the like the dead like the dead end of yeah, I thought it's just like a black hole yeah. that's looking at you back. I mean it is um, pretty much exhausted much of its stories, but sorry to interrupt you with that little Tangent, continue. Yes. Anyway, uh, the series started as graphic novels uh, from the aforementioned Eisner Award-winning comic book artist and animation director Hamish Steele. Uh, it was also a 2014 animated short, which is how I found out about the series personally, on uh, the Federator Network. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It is going to be set in the space of a theme park hunted mansion and follows Barney, Norma, their possessed talking dog Pugs Pugsley, and their guide to the 13 planes of existence, Courtney, uh, as they try to balance their summer jobs at this theme park with battling supernatural forces that are trying to not only take over the theme park, but furthermore the world. Yeah. It very much sounds like a Stefan. Ah, uh, you know? Ah, uh, uh, yes. Yeah, yes. But I, I, love, I love it. I love it. I love it. If you want to, you know, wet that whistle a little early, I highly recommend checking out that 2014 animated short. 
I watched it right before we started recording this episode and it is hilarious and funny and honestly from from the short you on one hand can believe it can be a full TV show but also can't at the same time. <laughs> Uh, don't want to spoil too much of it for you, but mm-hmm. what I will say is look out for the god of the internet, which is a cat that I have nicknamed Thickums McGee. <laughs> and you will see why, because that ass don't make no sense. And then there is a ghost of a gentrifying racist called Pauline. That's what I, well, her name is Pauline, but I feel like she has some of that in her background. Okay. I was You'll like, hear it more. <laughs> I was like, um, <laughs> You'll, trust me, trust me. I, I don't think it was any coincidence. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. That her name is Pauline, and the particular voice was chosen for Pauline. But she, on one hand, is also funny, but also kind of makes you think about Pauline haunting these group of folks. Right, right. And um, speaking of voice, the series is going to have amazing vocal talent. Um, Zach Barack, who was actually the first trans actor to be in a Disney movie. Uh, it was more in the background, but he was in Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, will be voicing Barney, who is a trans teen. Um, then there's Cody Cavita, who is has most recently voiced um, for Rise of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the most recent iteration of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. She will be voicing Norma, who is a neurodiverse teen. Cannot wait to see what that means. Mm-hmm. Then you have Alex Brightman, who <laughs> I know you love so much. <laughs> Uh, but he has played Beetlejuice from in Beetlejuice the musical on Broadway, and also Dewey from School of Rock the musical also on Broadway. Same theater. I will just say that I appreciate that there is a lane for his kind of character beyond just being the uh, sidekick, mm-hmm. beyond just uh, praising Gaston, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he would probably historically speaking would play. Well, I was gonna say he's a very Josh Gad. Type of very, very much. Although I think character Alex, actor. Although I think Alex Brightman is a little more talented than Josh Gad. Girl, speak on it. Speak on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's our podcast. You can say what you and want, and not yours. <laughs> and when this podcast takes off, and <laughs> we get some shit from Josh Gad, bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> uh, but yes, Alex Brightman will voice Pugsley. Then there's Emily Osment, who most iconically for me was in Spy Kids 2 as Gertie Giggles with her little uh, p- uh, pigtails whipping around. Look, serving looks, stunting pretty. Well, I was I was going to finish it, but she's not from New York City. Yeah, that's why I stopped. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> References. Spy Kids City. Refer- there we go. Yes. I love it. Island of Dream City. Yes. Um, well, that's, that's a lot of syllables. You're right. <laughs> okay. stay you're with- right. But um, most recently, in Emily Osment has been in The Kreminsky Method, and she's honestly had been in a lot of different sitcoms and TV shows. Yes. But she will be voicing Courtney. And we're also going to get Miss Coco Peru. Legend. Which is one of the most legendary drag queens in the world, in history. Um, She was in and has been in so many things from the movie Trick with her iconic monologue. Do yourself a favor and go look at one of the most iconic monologues in queer cinematic history. It burns. It really does. She's also been in Will and Grace and so, 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 so many more things. Um, She will also be voicing a character in this show um, to which... I don't know which one yet, but she will be voicing. Yeah. Um, the creator, Hamish Steele, tweeted out 
after it was announced that Netflix will be picking this up that I feel so grateful to Netflix for letting us make this show. This show is my love letter to the LGBTQIA plus community, my community, to kid me who felt so alone. Well, look at you now. To which I respond to Amish, thank you so much. Thank you, really, for Honestly, making this show. Truly. For a number of reasons. One, because we need to see more date in the life type TV shows with queer characters and queer representation. We're getting a lot of TV shows with, well, a lot being like, maybe not capital A a lot, lowercase a a lot, which I guess is a few. We're getting. <laughs> it's growing. We're getting an, uh, an increasing amount of TV shows and movies featuring queer characters in superhero roles. We're getting a lot of queer space operas as well. Mm -hmm. But we're not seeing as much queer day in the life type TV, especially yeah. when it comes to animation. Yeah. And I think now as we start to see ourselves represented in these larger than live characters it's also important to represent us in everyday situations showing that we contain multitudes we can be both capital s superheroes mm -hmm. and also lowercase superheroes that get groceries yes. and that fight ghosts and yes. pauline so it's just important <laughs> to show that range of representation mm -hmm. also thank you not only for this being a love letter to our community but also really a love letter to all the queer folks out there that grew up with Cow uh, Courage the Cowardly Dog mm -hmm. and other offbeat horror type TV shows. I was gonna say Scooby-Doo. Both and Scooby-Doo paved the way for Courage. Scooby-Doo yep. yelped for Courage um, to completely lose his facial structure. Jabberjaw? Uh, oh, come on. I have thoughts on that, but another time, another place. <laughs> But yes, I think that this is definitely a love letter in particular to uh, folks in our community who have a special place in their heart for horror mm -hmm. and for the supernatural. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Well, Dead India is set to bless Netflix uh, in 2021. Yay! Yes. So I cannot wait. I can't wait. Yeah, because 2020, it's a wash. Right. Yeah. Let's just skip mm -hmm. to, to 2021. Honestly. I will voluntarily give <clears throat> my birthday, which is literally three days before the new year. Well. Go ahead. My, you know, I don't know about that. You're so. fine. <laughs> take, your, <laughs> take your holiday, Tina. <laughs> uh, so next thing, Disney is actually listening. Or not really, but they're probably, they're listening, but they're more so probably trying to show that they're listening or come off as listening. Being and responsive. Yes, yes. And I'm not really talking about the parks opening and then them deciding to close them again before because of COVID-19. But I'm really talking about the fate of Splash Mountain. Yes. Uh, now, a personal little anecdote. Splash Mountain was honestly my favorite ride as a kid. Uh, I really just loved it because of all of its twists and its turns and that big-ass drop at the end and the very, very funny pictures that come out of that drop. Mm -hmm. um, and this was all before I knew that it was based off of Song of the South. <laughs> yikes i mean yeah. they also don't want you to right. know about that association exactly which is why all the characters are animals and yeah you know they they change around a lot of the visuals but zippity doo dah zippity a is the iconic song that you sing throughout that whole ride pretty much and oof, yes yikes when you contextualize it yikes um, within the menstrual movement right right Anyway. He was a happy... No. Look. No. No, 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 Disney. Mm -hmm. But um, so 
I am completely ecstatic to say that Disney World and Land ha- are changing or retheming Splash Mountain to focus on Princess and the Frog instead. Yes. Yes. Now, this is really a long time coming. Uh, and though Disney does say that the project has been a year or more in the making, I fully, fully believe that there was no real rush to change the theme of this ride until the latest national spotlight of the Black Lives Matter movement really popped off. Yeah. Because that really got... Because even if it had been this long in the making, they could have said something about it, and yet they're not saying something until after all of this in the world and in this country is going on. It's just a little fishy to me. Absolutely. I feel like this is representative of a larger, more expansive conversation about Mm -hmm. the ways in which racist images and cultural material uphold the racist stereotypes, tropes, policies, structures, so on and so forth. So on and so forth. (laughs) That continue to step on the necks of black and brown folks all across this country. And so they are probably doing their part to, rightfully so, take down their statue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very true. Um, And Disney did say that the retheming of Splash Mountain is of particular importance today. Mm. The new concept is inclusive, one that all of our guests can connect with and be inspired by. And it speaks to the diversity of the millions of people who visit our parks each year. (laughs) Can we just say it? Bullshit. That copy says nothing. As two people who write copy for a living. (laughs) Yeah, it really doesn't say anything, honestly. Honestly. Uh, yeah, like, also, like, just today. Yes. importance of, like, today, Disney has been preaching, and I think a lot of people are getting upset with different corporations and companies by saying, like, it is of such importance today when you've been preaching since the beginning or whenever that your company or that your organization is built off of inclusivity, built off of diversity, built off of making sure that you care about the people that patronize you. Yeah. Well, then why haven't you been doing that before? And this also speaks to how, frankly, companies are, not all, but some are operating out of a spirit of fear and retaliation and not a spirit of accountability. Mm -hmm. Because accountability... It's synony- should be synonymous with specificity. Yeah. So it's not just saying that it's of particular importance today. Okay, what kind of importance? What makes this particularly important? Name that moment. And I get that you possibly have shareholders who you got to speak to, but also we're now in an age where corporate social responsibility is beyond just cleaning up a park on a Sunday and saying that you stand with uh, a greener earth that you want to save the earth. It's also about naming the structure that you have to contend with yep. to make the earth safer and greener. And so the fact that this copy just says that, you know, we are being, I mean, and I'm going to be generous here, we're being responsive to the moment. What moment, girl? Mm-hmm, 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 Yep. Well, um, all, taking all that into account, um, <laughs> <laughs> the new ride will take place after the events of Princess and the Frog, of the Princess and the Frog film. Um, and guests will be following, uh, Princess Tiana and Louie, the alligator, not a crocodile, the alligator, on a musical adventure. You better tell the children. It's going to be featuring some of the most powerful music from the film, so you can expect almost there. I'm, I'm almost sure. (laughs) The very fact that that was not intentional. (laughs) 
And we're going to oh. be hearing this amazing music uh, as they prepare for their first ever Mardi Gras performance. I am super excited and they need to be super careful. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because for uh, centuries, black folks have been dancing and performing for white and white aspiring peoples. So the very fact that you have our music on display doesn't really speak to creating uh, a monument, so to speak, mm-hmm. or a, a ride that is of particular importance today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because, yeah. Well, I don't know what it would be called in the theme park amusement ride sector, but they need to just hire a dramaturge. They really do. We are out here. You know, so people can, yeah. And I've seen posts on Twitter before this was announced of people yeah. saying, oh, Splash Mountain should be turned into a Princess of the Frog ride. Here are the reasons why. Here's what should be where. Here's what how they should... Um, uh, retheme this portion of the ride to be this. But here's what I'm also worried about as we're talking about this is um, whether or not Princess Tiana will appear as a human or mostly as a frog. I think she will. I think the days of her frog dumb are over. I hope so. Uh, but just I'm or at I'm least a, or at least balanced, more balanced than it was right. in the actual. And film. if we do see it, I can only assume that it will be if it's like a flashback and so like during while you're going waiting for the ride yeah maybe they tell the story of the movie and it's supposed to be after the events and it's about the rides you're right after events and in everything that has happened after princess and the frog tiana has been human yes absolutely so hopefully they will as you say yes hopefully they will continue that i mean likely what they'll and I hate speculating in this regard because uh, I don't know the world of theme park rides, but mm-hmm. you know, likely what they'll do is there may be some frog shit mm-hmm. in the beginning while you're waiting in line. Right. There's that, but either way, mm-hmm. we'll go and we'll see it. Yeah. Um, and once again, I just want to say that it's about time that they've um, done this. Uh, we got Princess Tiana four years before Frozen. And yet, how many adaptations and expansions and merchandise have we had for Frozen? And what have we had for Princess and the Frog? Well, we've gotten conversations about how she's not really a Disney princess. Yeah. Gotten that. We've gotten conversations about how... Uh, actually, no, I'm going to go on a tangent. So, <laughs> going to rein that in. We've gotten her skin lightened in Wreck-It Ralph. Yikes! But Forgot about that. But they fixed that. Mm-hmm. They fixed that. Uh, but yeah, so I'm just hoping that this is the start of a more centered and focused on our only black queen. Um, and yeah, the original voice actress, Anika Noni Rose, even um, she said that it's really exciting to know that Princess Tiana's presence in both Disneyland and Magic Kingdom will finally be fully realized. Yes, girl. Which I think is a powerful thing. She's not just going to be one of the actors in the parade. She is going to be a staple in the park. Just like I want to see Anika Noni Rose become a staple even more so in Broadway, musical theater history. Different podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, right. uh... All that said, I am super excited to eventually enjoy this ride whenever it comes out. It'll probably be 2030 uh, <laughs> because I'll be having my vaccine before I go to another Disney park. It, it will also take much. a lot to completely overhaul that. Yeah, yeah. So, But um, that's it for the newsreel this week. Let's get into For the Culture. All right. So for the culture, um, 
for the culture. We're still in COVID-19. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Dramatic pause was because of that. You're yeah. fine. You're fine. You're yeah. fine. <laughs> um, and as we continue to adapt to the ever-changing pandemic, uh, many of us have tried to use this time devoid of socializing as normal to tackle either a newly created quarantine queue, an existing one that we finally have time for, or some combination thereof. Mm-hmm. But is there cause for pause? Not only in how frequently we consume content, but also space to reflect on and discuss other related issues, such as how binge watching relates to supporting content by creators of color, or how binge watching is now taking place in the predominance of screens in our COVID-19 lives as mediators for consuming content by those creators and also building community with fans like us. So today, We're going to be talking about binge watching in a time of COVID-19 and also revitalized anti-racism social movements. And specifically, we're going to impact the different reasons binge watching is so attractive and their relationship to fandom as we've experienced them. Tongue pop. (laughs) All right. Because I can't do it. (laughs) So... Two of the biggest effects of this pandemic has been the cultural and social disruptions of our lives. So movies, TV shows, video games, all that, things that we knew were going to be impactful cultural moments, or at the very least just generally help us kind of demarcate time, have been disrupted. Not to mention the postponement of social mainstays like Comic Cons and other fan gatherings. And to fill that void, why not pick a TV show or a movie that you've been meaning to get to or start that popular X that everyone's been talking about? However, some have cautioned against that. Um, in an article from um, on io9, which is a great online source for geek news, io9, um, this article was entitled, Why Not Try Taking a Binge Watch a Slow? Writer James Whitbrook tries to make the case for slowing down a bit, one of which is the ability to really sit with what you've seen. Yes, I definitely <laughs> agree to that. So given that perspective, what do you think? Should we be wary of binge watching? Well, uh, just to go back a little bit, I want to say that another issue that I think COVID has and the fact that so many things that we planned for to come out um, uh, and to get news about has been canceled or or postponed uh, has really affected is a lot of these things are forms of escapism and Mm -hmm. ways to kind of like take a break from what's going on Mm -hmm. in stress. And so the fact that so many things are not, there's not as much there available, Mm -hmm. at least new to, 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 to work with. I think it's, it's, uh, it's a little hard for people to, you know, you have to go back and you have to binge old things. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Okay. Now ask me your question. (laughs) Well, given that perspective and also (laughs) what Whitbrook presents here Mm -hmm. that being we should all kind of slow down a bit to at the very least process what we've just watched what do you think should we be wary of binge watching oh yeah i've grown to where i am very wary of binge watching i haven't probably haven't really binged something in a little while because i found that and this is definitely since we've been quarantined i found that when you binge watch things you don't 
like you said before, you don't get to sit with it. I feel like you don't get to really learn about the characters as deeply. You don't get to learn about the lore as deeply. Um, it's different when you watch an episode or even two episodes and then you get to sit with them for a week and think on and ruminate over what happened and then get to look forward to what's going to happen next and anticipate it. It, it sits in you yeah. a little bit more. And so not only do you... I think enjoy the series a lot more in the long run, but you're able to understand the series and have better conversations about the series yeah. because you, you know, you learned more about it and it, it stuck with you. I've definitely binge watched shows and I'm like, oh yeah, that character, what was their name? And they were a super important character in the series, right? And when you don't binge watch and you sit with it, you kind of learn, those things sit with you. I'm saying a lot of sit, but those things sit with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you don't have those moments. Yeah. How about you? I would definitely agree. Um, and I also think that this speaks to some larger issues. So yes, we should be more intentional about our intake. But I think something deeper is that we don't have safeguards against that anymore. So, for instance, the advent of day drops versus traditional episodic releases. Typically, when you had more shows that were releasing weekly rather than Friday morning at 5 a.m., Netflix, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think there was as much of an expectation to binge watch because you just didn't have the access mm -hmm. to the entire season or the entire series. Um, so there's that. And then also I think we should have a conversation about the speed and quality of fan reaction especially if you'd like to participate in quote-unquote the conversation around a TV show or a movie, which is frankly one of the best parts, especially now in the age of digital fandom, where you can be conversing with someone across the country or across the world about a TV show that historically you thought you only liked. Right. So right. I think those two things. And also the biggest thing is there's just so much shit out there so even if you are more intentional about your intake yeah. for me especially someone that has always struggled with focus issues it's not that i need time to sit with a character is that this character is one exhibit in a fucking zoo mm -hmm, mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. other characters other subplots because everyone is trying to tell two or four or five thousand stories right and I think that's kind of the point I was trying to make earlier. If there was any time to slow down and not binge watch series, mm, okay, it's now. Because now is probably the only time for a while we're going to have less series out there Yeah, coming out that we have to be up and ready for to talk at that water cooler conversation when you go to work. You know, a lot of those things aren't happening anymore because we are working from home, you yes. know? Yeah. Um, or, you know, the comfort, the internet conversation or whatever. That, of course, those things still happen on Twitter. Of course. But, you know, you're not talking about seven different shows or properties anymore. It might be two yeah. a week or something like that. So if there was a time to slow down and not binge watch. Enjoy your fucking series that you really wanted to sit down and watch. Now is the time. That's what I was trying to say. Absolutely. Well, uh, speaking of the speed at which content is the dropped. Speed at which you hit that shablam. I hate you. <laughs> speaking of the original <laughs> East Village Hood Rat Queen. 
<laughs> the speed at which content is dropped, consumed, and chatted about. Another reason why I think binge watching is so attractive is the opportunity to watch those must watches. Yeah. So everything that is popular, everything that is being talked about right now, um, it's become as far as binge watching is concerned, it's become this race to catch up or keep up mm-hmm. with the sheer amount of what's out there, as we've been talking about, not even filtering for popularity or cultural significance. Um, as you and I both try to stay abreast of what's happening in yeah. <laughs> the nerd fandom, <laughs> as well as... yes, this even harder. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, how has this race been for you, especially given our shared commitment to supporting content for and by people of color whose continuation is often at the whims of white media power structures, as we were talking about earlier with uh, Onyx Equinox. Right. So honestly, for me, I found it to be annoying because, (laughs) I mean, annoying in general, but also because since we have really gotten on this journey of um, consuming properties from people, from creators of color or that are focusing on people of color. Um, though there, it's a growing group, Yeah, it's still so small. And I sometimes find myself like really looking through the weeds to find the next thing. And I always, I have my long list of books that I can read, but you know, between the two of us, you are definitely the, the reader and the quicker reader. <laughs> So when it comes to like TV shows and video games, that's definitely where I, yeah, you know. Well, you also have this very interesting, unique ability to spot a subplot and its resolution miles away. Right. In ways that I would never be able to do. And, but I also have the crux of, I will still watch the whole thing. <laughs> knowing where it's my going. my ass turns it off. And I'm like, mm, that goes to episode six, knows that there's a right. mid-season finale, knows right. that that character doesn't make it to it. Right. I think it's the cancer in me reading it and being and being able to say like, mm-hmm, I knew. I knew. I knew you were nasty. I've been peeped at. I knew you were dirty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's hard, especially when it comes to like video games, finding video games that were made by people of color, you know, developed by people of color or center on uh, the life of a person of color is very hard. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But so I have found myself reading a lot more. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's real. I've I've tried to, especially earlier on in my, like, oh my God, TV show and movies, which, sure, that's, you know, we were children growing up with that, and we were teens, age, all that jazz. Mm -hmm. Um, We became more aware of that, and then as we have become adults, adults, we've become even more aware of how certain movies and TV shows have more cultural staying power than others. And as you were saying, the sifting that has that you have to go through not only to find them but also for me the sifting that has to go through that i have to go through to identify what are the ones that have cultural staying power as someone has an interest in cultural criticism um i've been relying a lot on lists curated Mm -hmm. by folks wiser than yes me Mm -hmm. and with maybe more time than me (laughs) that are being paid (laughs) right (laughs) yeah to keep up and catch up (laughs) because this is still what a volunteer gig (laughs) um People who have that designation in their lives. Yes. uh, (laughs) They've been helping a lot. At the same time, even those lists can have 25 movies, 15 TV shows, Mm -hmm. and then 
separate conversations about them. Not to mention you have one writer and thinker who wants to write a theory of everything. Yes. And as someone that is attracted to the big picture, I have to go then look at the theory of everything mm -hmm. and then to grind myself in that you have to watch the various tent poles of that theory of everything. So that makes it really, really hard. And also, I just want to point out, I'm super excited, but also it's a super daunting thing to think about that after the period that we're in now, yeah. where more people of color and black voices and queer voices are really starting to be heard and their their struggles and what they want yeah. out of these huge corporations and media companies that are that have not been giving them the time of day are need to step up and are turning around doing so we're gonna get so many more things and at the same time the metrics by which we assess their performance have to be rethought oh, and have to catch up to modern day consumption patterns completely and what i mean by that is case in point comic books the very fact that certain publishers still take into consideration the sales of single issues yeah versus tradebacks <laughs> Ain't nobody trying to buy a single issue every week. I mean, some of y'all are, and more power to you and your wallet. But as for me and mine, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. So I wait until... Mm -hmm. <laughs> and also, because very similar to consumption patterns with TV shows and movies, I now have grown used to, as a viewer, to these single-day drops where I get episodes 1 through 10 on a Friday, and I have the option to binge-watch it, but at least I have the access. Right. And that's not a question as to whether or not I can continue on with consuming that story. So, of course, I want a trade back, especially for something like Bitter Root, where after I read single issue uh, issue one, I was like, all right, that was lovely. And, and also it's I'm like, going through that right now with uh, Strange Academy. It's also where... the thing of, these are, I mean, it's just pure storytelling, which it has to happen, but... There are some amazing cliffhangers that, that are just being And I don't have off. time. I truly don't. <laughs> and I'm like, I need to know what happened next. I need to. Now. Absolutely. I also think we are starting to see the rise of performative viewing. And I used to think about this primarily within the context of justice work and movement building work, which in addition to the important essays you should read, they're also important fictional TV shows, movies, content out there that you should also be consuming and, and reading that helps to color in some of the contours of your understanding around systems and structures. And that makes sense. But then also to call yourself a fan of something now, there's this expectation to have seen either X amount of TV shows or, or X amount of episodes of a particular TV show or to have seen the essentials. And now you're starting to see curated lists that recognize that, hey, a TV show like um, I don't know what's uh Christ a TV show that I've been trying to keep on Star Trek. There we go, Christ mm -hmm. has many, <laughs> many iterations, and so people are publishing essential episodes that you should be watching. Hell, Shira did that when season five premiered, where they said okay on IO Nine and some other spaces, they put out curated list of shows you should watch to get ready for season five. Right. So it's now become this thing, sometimes unintentionally, but sometimes people who want to. Uh, raise their status above everyone else as far as being the ultimate fan, it makes you feel as if you have to have seen X amount of episodes of that TV show or X amount of TV shows or movies in that genre to call yourself a fan of that genre. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like... Yeah, sorry, never mind. That was going to be a weird tangent. Go ahead. 
So uh, one of the things that has definitely helped Cole, this list that we've been talking about, the list we've been talking about, is reducing our exposure to content that overly centers Black pain. Like we have definitely become a lot more conscious of uh, that kind of content. <laughs> like when we were going to start um, Little Fires Everywhere and we said, ho, 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 this Reese? is great. We will watch you eventually, but... I'm not in the mindset for all this right now. I can't deal with these microaggressions from Weez Witherspoon. I was about to beat her with her spoon. Yes. Um, I can't deal with these innate things that her kids are doing that they honestly don't even know they're doing because what? They were taught by their parents and they just think it's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, um, when they see us. Yes. Another one that is just like, ooh, got to find the right, you know, um headspace yeah the right time time of day time and day both and right (laughs) to watch that um and we're also trying to consciously uh increase our content or our intake of content that is grounded in black joy either in a subject matter or Mm -hmm. just by virtue of of it giving us joy like finishing kipo which hello this past season we won't go down that rabbit hole you're gonna make me cry but super super good yeah However, in a world that has already um, become, I would say, screen first (laughs) and within the necessary increase in our exposure to screens due to social distancing guidelines, even binge watching to take a break from the world, as we've been doing with trying to increase our uptake and content that centers Black joy, can feel like a lot, can feel very daunting. I know we both have day gigs that require a lot of interactive screen time, but as someone that plays video games, another form of interactive screen time, how are you thinking about this seemingly nonstop screen time and and wanting to enjoy TV shows and movies that, you know, on one hand, are brief respites at the same time also means more time in front of a screen. I'm tired. I'm so tired, but I have to continue on. I have to. <laughs> Not only for the fact that, oh yeah, I have to work during the day, but also a lot of my de-stressing habits and and things that I use to, to de-stress are screen related. Yeah. Whether that's video games or social media, you know? So it's not only going from the computer screens for work to the television screen for movies and TV um, to my phone for games and social media and communication with other human beings to my Switch, which I, you know, the handheld play on my Switch, you know? And sometimes all those things are on at the same time running up my light bill. Yeah. But it's just... It's something you got to do. And I love sleeping. So luckily I take a lot of naps. That's true. That's um, true. Which helps with the, with the, uh, with the light to eye ratio. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, I think, yeah. Sorry. Go I, ahead. That's another reason why I've started reading a lot lately because it is a departure from the screen. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, I, it, just a fact that I like physical books more than reading on the Kindle. Yeah. So that, you know, it's great that I can just open a book, go in the living room, lay on the couch and read. Absolutely. I think we're starting to see an uptick in non-screen related activities during a time of quarantine because, yeah, sure, 
for some people, weeks one through five might have been a dream as far as having time and space to watch the TV shows and movies they've been meaning to watch for a while now, or really eating up all the lists that were coming out of their favorite publications about great content to consume during this time where you're doing absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by week six, by hell, we're on month five now? Or month six? It's July now, so March, February, April, May. Yeah. Five, yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely a month. Yes. Okay. Yes. Lovely. Because <laughs> I have to think... We started quarantine in February, even though it was a mandatory quarantine in March. No, we started quarantine in March. Sorry, I started quarantine in February. Yeah, I was like, I <laughs> was full in the office in February. Yeah, I started quarantine the first week of February. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely, no matter when you started quarantine, but by now, I think you're you're about done with constantly interfacing with screens. It. Especially for socializing and done with it, especially for watching TV shows and movies, because no matter what the activity is at this point, now, if, it inv- if it involves a screen, you want to break from it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think we're now seeing an uptick in things like binge reading or just now more casual reading yeah. um, and other activities. People are starting to make more, are starting to... Um, I had a friend who called it create more, consume less. And what she meant, not only in just the consumption of physical materials, but also the consumption and content. Yeah, I have a friend that um, she just got a lot of new furniture for her new place. And so that's a lot of cardboard. So not only did she build little toys or areas for her cat but she also that's a great canvas that you and a free canvas you can use so she bought some paint yeah and she just started you know using the cardboard boxes and pieces of the cardboard to paint on yeah i i agree at the same time personally i think i am still binge watching only because and this kind of ties it back into the part of the conversation we're talking about now with binge watching being a form of uh, escapism um, I'm still looking for inspiration and escape from the world that we're in right now. More inspiration than escape now. I feel like escape for me is not healthy because I naturally withdraw when I in, in times of intensity. So I think more inspiration to help keep moving me forward. And there are now tons of TV shows out there, movies out there, especially if you are someone that either A is doing a lot of, actually not either or, if you're someone that is both doing a lot of unlearning when it comes to certain behaviors and certain relationships to structures of oppression and also learning about alternatives and learning about different ways in which you should be orienting and navigating the world based on the values that you espouse, then yeah, binge watch the hell out of it. Take time, obviously, but I see folks now doing a lot of that binge watching. So all that to say, it's complicated, it's nuanced. And I think that binge watching is definitely here to stay, but I also think that we are becoming a lot more aware and critical, not only of binge watching, but also just the larger media landscape in which binge watching has become acceptable, Mm -hmm. collectively and individually. Yes, 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 yes. Cool. And the good thing about it, it's uh, it's your own prerogative. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. It's it's to where, you know, they're not doing specifically releasing episodes week to week. 
they are released at once and it's up to you to figure out if you want to do it or not yeah <laughs> I, have, I have thoughts on that as someone that always has thoughts on the difference between uh or the difference on the uh relationship between personal agency and structure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's just the anthropologist in me but yeah i think that's it for, for the culture all right all right on to our last section thank you for being a friend where we talk about people events trends and shenanigans that are spreading love and light during this time uh this week's Thank you for being a friend goes out to the AV club, which in honor of pride hosted a fascinating conversation about why so many queer folks are not only attracted to horror and fantasy, but also why so many queer coded characters and horror fantasy um, attract us. Yeah. I haven't finished the full panel, but there are some amazing highlights. I see you. You see me. We We see see each each other. other. We see each other. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Everything from talking about characters like Morticia Adams, who I agree, cheekbones for days. Not, not, sorry, not Morticia. Um, that was Maleficent. Thank you. <clears throat> cheekbones for days. No, but Morticia Adams, um, someone did say that like that was sexual awakening right there. Oh, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it kind of speaks to what we were talking about earlier on with <clears throat> um, Dead India and how this is also kind of a love letter to a lot of the queer folks that grew up with horror and fantasy yeah. as a mirror into something completely them and not them mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. 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 So I was super excited to see that they chose not just fantasy, but also horror. And also that horror is, I think, it, I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I feel like horror is a subsect of fantasy. I would think so, yeah. I mean, if especially when it comes to um, your horror movies like Friday the 13th, um, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, yes. Street, uh, Halloween, honestly, uh, Pinhead or whatever yeah. there. Honestly, all those are some kind of fantasy as well. And yeah. And even the, though they are horror movies. Exactly. And the very fact that we have all grown up, unfortunately, experiencing different degrees of being villainized and we can relate to a villain, especially as we get older being not so black and white the villain but has more nuances to that and sometimes the main characters are absolute shits looking at you simba <laughs> so i will forever be a scar stand exactly all right so we'll put a link to that in the show notes so you all can finish that panel with us um but with that dear i think we're done yeah once again, thanks for listening, y'all. We hope you enjoyed the news, the conversation, and the rough edits. <laughs> I really wish this podcast was a visual medium so they can see what that just was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, please rate and review generously. And remember to follow us on Twitter at This Is The Ink, all lowercase, and on our Instagram at This underscore is underscore the underscore ink, also all lowercase. All right. So share with your friends, family, and undecided. See you next time. Bye, y'all.